Amen. God's grace is wonderful, isn't it? And I praise the Lord for that. How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? We hold up the Word of God all over the building. And let me ask you now to join me over in the book of Colossians tonight, chapter number 4, Colossians chapter 4, page number 1,265. I'd like to read one verse. It's 605. And we've got to have just a very short meeting right after church here tonight about something, and so I'm going to be in a hurry. So if you'll listen fast, I'll try to preach fast, all right? And if you'll listen fast, hopefully we'll kind of wind up at the same place when this is over tonight. Colossians chapter number 4, 1265, if you have an old Schofield Bible. Don't forget now, Wednesday night service at, uh, at 7 o'clock. And prior to that, we'll be having soul winning. We're not having supper right now, but we will have soul winning. We'll meet here at 5.30 for soul winning, if you can come be a part of that. And we'll start back up with supper here before long. But then, of course, we'll have service at 7 o'clock. Discovery Bible Club kicks off this Wednesday night. Am I right? Can I get a witness from somebody? That is the truth. All right? That is the truth. All right? And so this, uh, this uh, Wednesday night, be sure to drop your kids off ages 3 through the 6th grade in the, in the Bible clubs. And then, of course, we'll have our service here in the auditorium at 7 o'clock. One verse, one verse. Look at verse number 10. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 10. Here's what the Bible said. Aristarchus, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. Saluteth. I can't help. When I read that in the Bible, I can't help. Y'all forgive me for this, but think about the, all, the old hee-haw programs that used to come on. Remember when they was all in the cornfield and they'd say something like this and everybody would say, Salute. Y'all remember that? Y'all still watching wrestling too, ain't you? I can tell on your faces right now. So Paul said, Hey, Aristarchus is over here with me. And he said, now we don't use the word salute much no more, but we use the word hello. So what he's saying there in verse number 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prison, he says to tell y'all that I said hello. Then he mentions another individual, and that's in verse number 10, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye have received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. I'm preaching tonight, third message in the subject, the, the, the series of snapshots of the saints. All right? Let's pray. Father, bless your word, and I pray you'd help me tonight to be quick, but God, give me the, the heart of your people, and may the heart of your people, may the word of God get the heart of your people tonight. And help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us now over the past several Sunday evenings, then you'll know that we've been looking at some of the not-so-famous people of our New Testament. Now, of course, there are a lot of people in the New Testament that we're very familiar with, people like Peter and Paul and James and, and John. We know a whole lot about their life. We know how they got saved. We know what the Lord did in their life. We know what they went on to do as they went on to serve the Lord. And we know a whole lot about those people's lives according to the Word of God. But there are many people, many people that are named in the New Testament that I would have to say are the not-so-well-known people, the not-so-famous people. You see, our New Testament is filled with the names of people that little is said about, and yet... They were people who, long, who, along with the more familiar people of our New Testament, surrendered their lives to the Lord 
and were used of God. And it seems like every time that Paul came to close out one of his letters to a church like the church of Colossus, he always took the moment to send greetings to and from people that were himself and from people that were with him as well. Now, I haven't done this, so i, I got to tell you, this is what I read. So I haven't done this, but somebody said that if you'll go through all the letters of the Apostle Paul that he wrote, that you'll find at the end of those letters there were more than 100 different people that he mentioned as he closed out each letter. And it's some of those people, some of the not-so-famous people that we are interested in for this series of sermons. Now, if I've counted them correctly, if you'll start in verse 7 and go through the rest of the verses of this chapter, as he closes out the letter to the church of Coloss, he mentions ten more people Ten more people, most of whom, except for maybe Luke and maybe one or two others, most of these people we know very little about whatsoever. But as we look at the names that are mentioned here in chapter number 4, we kind of understand three things about these people. First of all, if you'll look in these verses, these, these, these lives of these people, number one, are filled. They're filled with activity. Now, when we read the names of these people, for instance, back up in verse number 7, he talks about Oticius there. In verse number uh, 9, he talks about Onesimus. Now, we know a little bit more about him. And then all the way down through here, he mentions people that we're really not that familiar with. But let me tell you, these people, lives, their lives were filled with activity. We need to understand that these were real people who lived in real days, who were members of real churches, who had real problems, real bill to pays, uh, pay real troubles in their life, but they did their best to live for God. Many times I think we make the mistake uh, of when we read people's names of the Bible, we think there were some kind of super saints, but these were just ordinary people, people just like you, people just like me, who were struggling to pay their bills, struggling to raise their families, struggling to put food on the table, struggling with the difficulties of life, but they were actively going about life as Paul mentioned their names. So I could say, number one, these names are filled with activity. But then, number two, I could say that these names were filled with variety. Variety, because what we have here in the closing verses of this chapter is a variety of personalities, personalities who, who serve God and live successfully for the Lord. You know something about God? Our God likes variety. Now, if you don't believe that, look at the person sitting next to you on the pew and then go home and look in the mirror and tell me God don't like variety. God loves variety. God loves short people. God loves tall people like me. God loves skinny people, and God loves not-so-skinny people. God loves sophisticated people, and God loves ordinary people. You see, God uses all kinds of people, a variety of people in and through His work. By the way, that's true when it comes to preachers. God uses variety in preachers. Not all preachers preach the same. Not all preachers have the same mannerisms in the pulpit. Some preachers like me spit all over everything. Some preachers like me beat on the pulpit. Some people's preachers like me raise their voices and holler and scream and the veins pop out of their neck and their eyeballs. Looks like their head's going to just blow off sometime. And then God uses other preachers who have none of those mannerisms whatsoever. You see, God uses a variety of 
of people. By the way, we should appreciate whether it's hollering preaching or just regular preaching and pulpit banging preaching or just kind of just uh, talking kind of preaching. Aren't you glad that God uses a variety of people in and through His church? That's right. Wouldn't this be a boring world if there was only vanilla ice cream? Aren't you glad for chocolate chip cookie dough? Can I get a witness? Yeah, some of y'all coming alive over here now. Yeah, aren't you glad for butter pecan? Aren't you glad for that chocolate stuff that you put on ice cream and it gets hard and you have to crack through it? Amen. God loves variety. And just because one person may do it this way, another person may do it that way, doesn't mean that God can't use them to accomplish His purposes here on this earth. You don't have to say it, I will. Amen and amen. I got to thinking about in my day, in our day right now, some of the, church, some of the preachers who are pastoring the largest churches in America are preachers probably most of us wouldn't like to hear preach. I'm, 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 just, I'm serious with you now. I mean, most of them are very just get up, take a text, say a few things about it, it's over with, but they're running four, five, six, seven, eight thousand people in their churches. You see, God uses a variety of, 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 in His ministry. So this chapter is full of activity. This chapter is full of variety, but this chapter is also full of ministry. You see, what we understand in this chapter is these people, with all their problems, with all their struggles in life, these people were actively involved in the ministry of the local church, doing their best to serve God and be a blessing to their preacher. Amen. So tonight... I want to focus in, key in on just one of these people. Now, we don't know a whole lot about him, but I want to tell you a story tonight. His name, verse number 10, is Marcus. His name is Marcus. Now, we are a little bit more familiar with him than, say, that guy there is mentioned above him, uh, Aristarchus. Uh, we, we know a little bit more about Marcus than we do him. But I want to tell you something. Marcus has got a great story. When you piece together all of the New Testament, put all the little bones that we find here and there, boy, do we run into a skeleton of a good story. Now, Paul said to the church of Colossus, hey, when Marcus gets over there, you receive him. Now, that leads us into something here. So let me say three things about the life of this man by the name of Marcus. First of all, I want to say, number one, that Marcus, number one, had a godly foundation. He had a godly foundation. You see, when we move through our New Testament and we piece together what this one says about him and what that one says about him, the thing that we come to understand about his life is this. Boy, he came from a good family. Now, i got to tell you this. We don't know anything about his daddy. I don't know if maybe after he was born, his daddy died. I, I don't know if his daddy was not a believer, so therefore nothing is mentioned about him in the New Testament. I don't know if his daddy walked off left his mama uh, when he was a, a young boy. I, I mean, we don't know anything about his daddy, but boy, we know one thing. Boy, he had a good mama, and he had a good uncle as well. Let me show it to you from the Word of God. The first thing we come to understand about him is this. We know that his mama's name was Mary. His mother's name was Mary. Now, I want to tell you something about Mark's mama, Marcus's mama, Mary. Evidently, she loved the Lord very much. You see, we read back in the book of Acts chapter 12 that his mama, Mary, had a church in her house. Now, evidently, i got to tell you this, evidently they were very affluent kind of people. They were very rich because she had a house large enough to have a church in. 
Number two, not only did she have a house large enough to have a church in, she also had servants in her house. Uh, having a servant back in those days was a sign of being rich or affluent. So evidently, old Marcus come from a family that was very rich, but also very much in love with the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you something? Just because people are rich don't mean that they can't love our Lord. Amen. I think about some people in our church tonight that maybe are a little better off than others are, but can I tell you something? Boy, I thank God that you love our Lord. I thank God that you love the Lord Jesus. And aren't you glad that we have a church like this where somebody that don't have a whole lot can come in, sit on the same pew with somebody that has, does have a whole lot, shake hands, hug necks, and fellowship together. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Hey, brother, you may have a whole lot, but love Jesus with your whole lot. You may not have a whole lot, but love Jesus with your lack of a whole lot. I'm telling you, Marcus had a godly foundation. That's right. You see, it was in Mary's house, and I have no doubt Marcus, just a boy, was running around in there somewhere. It was in Mary's house that the church met to have prayer for Peter when Herod was going to kill Peter, and he'd already killed old Pastor James. That's right. I mean, he'd killed James, the pastor of the first church, and now, as sure as the sun come up in the morning, he was going to kill Peter. So all the church got together down at Mary's house. Here's what we read about that. Acts chapter number 12, the Bible said, And when they'd considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So Peter's locked up in jail. James is already dead. Herod has already signed the death certificate. He's going to kill old Peter. What can the church do? Well, they couldn't get enough money to hire a lawyer to get an injunction to stop the execution of Peter. There certainly wasn't enough manpower to go down to the jail and bust old Peter out, so they did the best thing they could do. They met together down at the church house in Mary's house and they started praying for God to do something in the behalf of old Peter. And guess what the Lord did? In response to their prayers, the Bible said that God sent an angel down who unlocked the jail cell, let Peter out, and Peter went down to the house that night. And you just imagine they had a glory hallelujah meeting down at Mary's house that night. And there's that little old boy John Mark, old Marcus, running around in there. He understands God has answered prayer, and who knows, that could have been the very night old Marcus got saved by the grace of God. I'm telling you, he had a godly foundation. He had a godly mama. Can I say that he had a godly uncle? Look again in our text. Verse number 10 said that he was the sister's son to Barnabas. So Mary had a brother by the name of... Now, boy, we've met Barnabas before. Barnabas is called in the Bible the son of consolation. He's called the son of encouragement. Boyle Barnabas was always in the habit of doing something for his church. He was either selling land, bringing the money to help the church out with their financial struggles. He was either reaching out to people that the church was afraid of, like old Saul after he got saved, and bringing them into the fellowship and, 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 uh, and uh, reaching out to new converts. Or I'm telling you, he was always involved in doing something for his church. I'll tell you what, not everybody can do everything, but everybody can do something for their church. I've told you this before. Number one, everybody can attend their church. Can I have an amen? Everybody can show up. Everybody can defend their church. Don't you let anybody talk bad about your church. Don't you let anybody talk bad about your preacher. You better not talk bad about my preacher. 
I'll sock you in the nose in the name of Jesus because I am my preacher. You can attend your church. You can defend your church. You can commend your church. You can say, good, you're going to go to work in the morning, rub shoulders with people who's going to be negative about what went on at their church. They're going to be down. They're going to be negative about it, cynical, sour about it, critical about it. That's when you all spoke up and said, man, you ought to have been over at our church yesterday. Boy, did we have a meeting yesterday. I tell you, they sang the roof off that place, and that preacher, I still don't know what he said, but he just hollered and hollered and hollered yesterday. Everybody can commend their church, defend their church, attend their church, and everybody can recommend their church. Dead men. Oh, Barnabas was such. He was an encourager. He was a man, I'm telling you, he was a man who loved his church. Do you love your church? Do you love your church? <laughs> he loved the church. Let me tell you something else. It seems like when you move through the Scripture that old Marcus had a special relationship with Simon Peter. That's right. Let me show you a verse over in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says this, the church that is at Babylon. Now, most people agree that that word Babylon there, when he says the church that was at Babylon, he's talking about the church at Rome. And, and the Bible said, the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Mark, my son. Now Peter says, Mark is my son. Now that doesn't mean literal fleshly son, but what it does mean is this. You remember Paul, how he oftentimes called Timothy, my son, my son, I have begotten my son. And Paul led Timothy to the Lord. I think what we get from that is Peter led Mark to the Lord maybe that night in the house when he got out of jail. I mean, but you talk about a godly foundation. He had a close relationship with old fiery Peter. He had a close relationship with old preacher Peter. I'm telling you, Mark had a godly foundation that was put under him. Can I say this? You ought to thank God, everybody in this room, that had a godly foundation put under you. Instead of criticizing that, being negative about that, being always down about that, you ought to thank God for a godly foundation that's been put under you by a godly mama or a godly daddy or an aunt or a grandma or a mama or a, a, a whatever. Thank God for a godly foundation. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I was raised tonight by a mom and a daddy that had to know where I was at who I was with, and who told me what time I had to be home. I'm glad when I got up on Sunday morning, it wasn't a question of if we were going to church, if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I just knew as sure as the sun come up and set, we were going to go to the house of God. Now, I'll tell you something. I didn't really appreciate it back in those days, but now at the age of 56, whose liver's not eat up with cirrhosis, I don't have kids scattered over five counties, I'm not paying alimony out the wazoo, I don't have DUIs this long. I thank God for a godly foundation that was put under me. Thank God for a praying mama. Thank God for a praying daddy. Thank God for a mama and a daddy who looked at me and said, you'll not dress that way, you'll not run with that person, and you'll be home when we say be home. Thank God for that. Sure has saved me a lot of trouble in my life because I had a mama and a daddy who put a right kind of a foundation under me. I said all that to say this. You mamas and daddy, keep on laying the law down. And you young'uns, shut, shut your mouth about complaining and start... When's the last time you thanked your mom and daddy for loving you? 
Well, all my mom and daddy does is say no. Why do they always say no? Well, number one, it's cheaper. It's cheaper. But they're concerned about you. They love you. They've been down the road. They're like a road map. They know the detours, the distractions. They know where the potholes are. They know where the dead-end streets are. And what they're trying to do is to keep you from messing up your life. And instead of complaining about that, you ought to go to them and hug their neck once in a while and thank God for a mom and a daddy like that. Yeah, man. He had a godly foundation. Number two, he had a great failure. A great failure. Now, I've got to tell you this. Let me back up, boys. Y'all help me with this. But let me back up and say that this godly foundation worked for old Mark. It really did. Because you know what happened to old Mark? He went in the ministry. That's right. Old Mark joined the ministry. Back in Acts chapter 13, we read this. And let me kind of set the stage. Paul and his uncle Barnabas have gone out on their first missionary journey. They have been given the right hand of fellowship by the church at Antioch. They have been sent out as missionaries into these far regions to carry the gospel. And the Bible said that when they sent Paul and Barnabas out, that they took Marcus along with them. Look at this verse right here. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Papos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia and John... Oh, that's not the good verse. Forget about that. I'm just telling you he's in the ministry. He was in, the, I can see his mama, how proud she was. When somebody said, well, what's Mark doing now? We notice he's not at home anymore. What's oh, she says, he's in the ministry. Yeah, he's, with, he's gone with Paul and Barnabas. And the last time I got a letter from them, they were over in Pamphylia. And they were preaching the gospel and folks were getting saved and lives were being changed. I am so proud of my son, Mark. Can't you see old Barnabas, old Uncle Barnabas? Somebody said, what about Mark? Oh. He said, man, I'm proud of that boy. That boy's going to do something with his life. I wouldn't be at all surprised if God didn't use him to do great things. I'm telling you, he had a godly foundation, and it paid off. But then he had a great failure. You see, the Bible said that while he was with Paul and Barnabas, and they went over there, go back to that verse now, when they went out preaching the Word of God, Something happened to Mark. I don't know what it was, but the Bible said that when they went to Perga and Pamphylia, that John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, you may tell you what happened. Old John Mark quit. I mean, he was with Barnabas. He was with Paul. Everybody back at the home church was just so proud of him. I mean, they just tickled to death. One out of their congregation was out serving the Lord. Man, they heard, they got letters, how people was getting saved like crazy. Churches were being started. Right there was old Mark with Barnabas and Paul. They were so proud of him. Then next thing you know, he just quit. I don't know what it was. The Bible is silent about why old John Mark quit. Nobody knows for sure. Did he get his feelings hurt? I don't know. Did he get criticized? I don't know. Was he homesick? I have no idea. Did he get afraid? Don't know. Did he get caught up in some kind of sin? Don't have no idea. Was it not what he thought it was going to be? Have no idea. Nobody knows for sure why old John Mark quit. All we know is he quit the ministry. I mean, right there when, when Paul and Barnabas needed him the most, he deserted them. He defected. 
He left them in a, in a lurch. Mark let them down. Let them down big. Let them down. You know, there have been many a person with a godly foundation put under them that has met with a great failure in their life. Many who started out well. Many, many who, who rose up and, and pronounced and professed the call to preach and the call to serve God have fallen by the wayside. Many have left their church in a lurch. I can't say that that thought hadn't ever crossed my mind because I'd be lying to you. But I can say this up to this point. Thank God I ain't quit. There's been some times when I wanted to throw in the towel. There's been some times that I wanted to say, enough is enough. But thank God to this point, I ain't quit yet. Can I tell you something? Don't be mad at me. I hate quitters. I remember when we were growing up, and when I was younger, and we played with boys that were older than us. And we were going to play ball. And I can remember vividly this happening to this very day. If they won, however they, we did that, you know, you moved your hands up the bat or flipped a coin or whatever, threw a rock, whatever, to see who was going to bat first. I can remember this vividly. When the older boys won, and they were first bat, they would run us to death. You remember old Yogi Berra making that statement, hit it where they ain't. They hit it where we won. And it took us about two hours to finally get them out. And I mean the score was 36 to nothing in the top of the first. And for hours we would run balls that they hit, run after them. Finally we get them out. It's our turn to bat. And don't you know them sorry sap suckers would take their ball and bat and quit on us? That did something to me right there. I tell you, that used to make me so mad when it come our turn to bat and they'd just quit and go home. Can I tell you something? The church rolls are littered with quitters. Many of you know people that used to serve God, but they've quit. You all know people that used to run a bus route, but they quit. They used to teach a Sunday school class, but they quit. They used to sing in the choir, but they quit. They used to teach a class, but they used to be a deacon, used to preach. I mean, man, one day they just took their ball and their bat and their glove and they said, we're done. We are out of here. I don't know what it was that caused old Mark to quit, but I do know one thing. When he did quit, it sure did hurt a lot of people. Nobody quits living for God without it hurting people. Nobody. Can I show you what happened? Remember Paul and Barnabas. Now, them two as tight as ticks. Paul and Barnabas were. But let me tell you what happened. When they went out on their second missionary journey, they were getting ready to go out again. So Paul said, hey, Barney. said, pack your bags, man. Let's go visit them churches we started over in Galatia. So let's go visit and see how everything's doing. And Barnabas said, great, Paul. I was just thinking the same thing. Let's go. I'll go get Mark. Paul in the Greek said, nuh-uh. No. He said, ain't no way. Mark ain't going with us. He's a quitter. He's got lace on his drawers. He, he, he has no dependability about him. That boy's got some character flaws. He's not going. Barnabas said, oh, yes, he is. Paul said, oh, no, he ain't. And them two almost came to blows. 
Look at this. Acts chapter 15 says this, And Barnabas determined to take Mark with them, whose surname was Mark. But the Bible said this, But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed with them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the Bible goes on to say, I think, or the next verse, uh, they got so mad at each other that they almost come to blows until they finally decided to part ways. Somebody quit, and it drove a wedge between two godly men. You never quit the work of God without hurting other people. Am I right? Think about the letdown experience. Think about how many people you've been let down by since you've been living for God. Think about all those people that have come through and they walked in. Man, act like that's going to set the, the world on fire. I mean, went off like a firecracker. Come crashing back to the earth like a rock. Don't know where they're at now. Have no idea. Blew in, blew up, blew out, gone. Quit. Oh, I don't know about you. I don't like quitters. He had a godly foundation. He had a great failure. But number three, and I'm done, and we better hurry. He had, oh, Marcus had a glorious forgiveness. You see, as, it's ba as bad as it sounds, the story of Mark is not over yet. You see, when Paul looked at Mark, he saw a problem. When Barnabas looked at Mark, he saw a potential. And the Bible goes on to say about all of this, all of this, that Mark eventually got right with the Lord. Don't you like that when people who quit get right with the Lord and get back to being faithful again? I'm, I'm done. I think there were really two men that were really instrumental in getting Mark right with God. I think number one, obviously, was his uncle Barnabas. Old Barnabas saw something in that boy that, that Paul couldn't see. And old Barnabas probably, probably helped him a lot. I really believe old Barnabas was instrumental in getting Mark back into fellowship with the Lord Jesus and getting back into church again. I think he was instrumental. But let me tell you who I think played the biggest part. I think it was Peter. I do. Because what happened, I believe, was this. After Mark failed and let the Lord down, I think according, watch this now, that First Peter 5 verse that we had up there a moment ago, I think what happened was after Mark failed, he went to see the man who led him to the Lord, old Peter. And here's what I think happened. Now, you can't prove this. I, I can't prove this. You can't dis disprove this. But I am doing the preaching right now. So it's going to be this way at least for right now. You can believe what you want to when you walk out. But here's what I think happened. I think old Mark went to see old Peter. And I believe Mark probably got to Peter's house and said, said, Peter, man, have I blown it. I have been such a big failure. I think old Peter probably said, you know something, Mark? I know exactly how you feel. Yeah, I get it, Mark. You see, let me tell you, you may have never heard this about me, but let me tell you what happened to me one night. Jesus was about to be crucified. They come and arrested him. And before that, Mark, i got to tell you, I promised him I didn't care if it meant I had to die. I was going with him. He could count on me. If everybody else forsook him, I'd be there with him. I really meant that too, Mark. But can I tell you what happened to me that night? They come and arrested him, and I don't know what happened. I just got afraid, and I followed him. I did. I followed him, but I followed him afar off. And I found myself outside the palace warming my hands by the devil's fire. 
And about that time, this little old maid come up to me and started picking at me, telling me that she saw me with him before. And you know something? I have the opportunity to stand up for Jesus. And you know what I did, Mark? I'll tell you what I did. I denied that I knew him. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to tell you, son. I denied that I knew the Lord. And he was in that palace, and it wasn't too long till he come walking out. And Marcus, I just want to tell you, I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw him. They had so beaten him in there. I mean, his eyes was almost swollen shut. You could barely see his eyes. He had blood coming out of his mouth. I'm telling you, he was a sight to see. And I watched him as they led him by. I looked at him. But Marcus, can I tell you something? When I was a-looking at him, he was a-looking back at me. And Marcus, I want to tell you something, son. If he could forgive me for what I did, he can forgive you for what you've done. I believe old Peter was instrumental in getting old Mark right with the Lord. Now look in Colossians and I'm done. Boy, have I preached too long. But look at that in verse number 10. Paul says this about him. He says, now I'll tell you something. I heard Marcus was over there, coming over there. And if he comes, look at verse number 10. If he comes... You receive him. That kind of that shows us the responsibility of the church when it comes to those who have failed the Lord. What is our responsibility if they come back? Receive them. Can I, let me put it to you like this. You look this up in your Strong's Concordance. The word receive means to extend the hand. Now, not like this. That's what a lot of Baptists do, don't they? You low down, sorry, good for nothing. That's not what he's talking about. When they, when they come, if he comes over there, extend the hand. And I know, I get it, and I'm done. I get this. I know how people feel toward me, and I get it because I am gullible. Somebody say, our poor old preacher, he's just so gullible. Somebody can just go off and do whatever they want to, and he'll just get up, welcome them right back into church again. Our poor old preacher is just so gullible, it's pitiful. Can I tell you something? You're right. I'm so gullible. It is unbelievable. But I'd rather be gullible in forgiveness than I had to be harsh in harshness any day of the week. You know why? Someday I might fail. And I might need somebody not to do this, but to somebody to love me enough to do this and receive me back into the fellowship of the house of God. And before you get too high and mighty, ma'am, and sir, before you get to strumming your own galluses, thinking you're way up there and everybody else is way down here, can I just remind you, you made out of the same stuff I am. And if it could happen to me, if it could happen to Marcus, if it could happen to this one or that one, I'm here to tell you, you go ahead and strut around like a peacock if you want to. But brother, you're just one bad decision away from messing your life up. And then you're going to need somebody not to do this, but somebody who will do that. So if I'm gullible for being forgiven, forgiveness... So be it. And if you want to be harsh for your harshness, so be it. But if you're going to walk that walk, and if you're going to talk that talk, you better be sure you never, ever mess up.
amen and amen. Let's pray.